720 WGN. Do you have a a sleep divorce? (laughs) I think it's done without the help of an attorney. And one third of Americans have opted for a sleep divorce. And like I said, it really wasn't something on my radar. It wasn't something I heard until someone was using it in a commercial on the radio station. And then I started to pay attention. Well, I find it interesting that it's affecting so many Americans. Dr. Anne-Marie Morse is with the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Dr. Morse, a third, a third of Americans, a sleep divorce. Tell everybody exactly what a sleep divorce is. So a sleep divorce is when individuals in a relationship are deciding that it is much better for go sleeping in the same bed and us sleeping in two separate beds two separate rooms in order for us to be able to get better quality sleep. And so you can see where that clearly delineates an initial problem potentially in a relationship in general. Yeah, absolutely. I remember being like 22 and my first job in radio and one of the guys said, oh, we sleep in different bedrooms. I'm like, you sleep in different bedrooms? It was so foreign to me as a young kid, not in a relationship. Well, I guess I was newly married at that point, but um, they did it because of sleep schedules. And they just didn't want to interrupt each other when he's getting up in the middle of the night to go to work. What is the biggest thing that causes people to, I guess, go through a sleep divorce? So what's interesting is you describe in your in your example of being in radio and, and this individual saying, hey, we're on different seat schedules and this is the reason why we do it. That actually is a representation of of sometimes a healthy sleep divorce and ones where people are just utilizing it in order to be able to get by. The the examples of situations where it may be representative of of an unhealthy sleep divorce most typically are coming from a snoring situation. So someone who's snoring, stopping breathing, having features of sleep apnea, and a couple going, hey, we need to have separate areas to sleep because you're stopping breathing, that's scaring me, or I just can't get the right number of hours of sleep. And therefore, we're going into separate rooms and really decreasing the likelihood of there being any type of restoration for that. It's nice when you do have two bedrooms or an extra room that somebody else can sleep in, but sometimes it's just a couch. And who usually ends up in the other room? Is it the man in a a relationship between a man and a woman? Is it the man or the woman? So chivalry never dies, I guess. (laughs) The reality is is that it most frequently is the man. And and unfortunately, it may also be representative that before the age of 50, men are going to be more likely the culprit of having snoring and sleep apnea. And so that might be representative as to why the men are more likely to be like, hey, I'm going to be the one that goes and leaves the room. Um, And so most frequently, I would say that it's almost like two to one. Men are more likely to go into another room or really, like you just suggested, go onto the couch or somewhere that's not so convenient to sleep in order to facilitate both of them getting a better night's sleep. And you said age-related I would imagine age-related sleep apnea is an issue, but what about for people who haven't reached that age? Is it an issue as well? So the reality is is that sleep apnea can be present in any age. 
The difference is, is that before the age of 50, men are more likely to be affected by sleep apnea. But after the age of 50, it actually is a one-to-one ratio of men and women equally being affected by sleep apnea. And so many times we're talking about the younger generation. And in fact, even the statistics that we're seeing is our current millennials are much more likely to adopt situations like sleep divorce than our baby boomers are older. And so the reality is, is that although there may be differences in ages of who may be afflicted, we're also seeing different strategies depending on which generation we're talking about. And I see on TikTok the hashtag, hashtag sleep divorce now boasts nearly 400,000 views. So it's an issue that a lot of people deal with, but the term sleep divorce seems to be so negative because a divorce is final and you're separated. And that's not necessarily what's happening in these relationships, right? Well, it really depends. Um, The unfortunate truth is that when we're looking at the national statistics of sleep disorders in the United States, we're talking about epidemic proportions. It is estimated one in five adults are having a sleep disorder, and very frequently sleep apnea may be one of them. And so when we're looking at sleep divorces, we are sometimes seeing that this is a temporary solution when we're approaching fixing the problem at hand, the sleep problem. But the reality is, is that sleep divorces sometimes are a representative of that final step in terms of a direction of a negative turn in a relationship. And it really all depends on how are we getting these couples back together? Because it's not only affecting our sleep, but it may also be affecting our intimacy. And you know what's hard is there's not a day that goes by, doctor, that I don't speak to somebody that says, I can't sleep. I didn't sleep last night. I'm so tired. I'm so behind on sleep. And you called it an epidemic. And it's not just for people who are sleeping with another person in their bed. What is happening? Why Why can we not shut down? Why can we not get the sleep that we need to maintain good health? So I think one of the challenges that currently exists is that many of us in the United States are really trying to get a lot done during the day. And so unfortunately, very frequently, we're looking at sleep as the extendable part of our day in order to get more hours to do more. Unfortunately, that also results in the opposite outcome, where we actually become less productive. When you look at what is the average number of hours of sleep we're getting nowadays in 2023, the typical adult is only getting 6.8 hours of sleep. If you look at the 1960s, it was actually eight and a half hours of sleep. What we should be gearing for is seven to nine hours. When we're talking about duration, that is only representative of one of over 70 different types of sleep disorders. So when we're looking at a situation where many people are looking at sleep as something that does not contribute to our overall sense of wellness, function, productivity, we generally are ignoring something that it brings us our best form of ourselves. And so unfortunately, I think what's occurring is that many of us are purposely ignoring this or not purposely, not realizing the dysfunction of our sleep and how it's contributing to our mood, our cognition, our ability to just overall function and our level of wellness. And this has resulted in just increasing numbers of adults and children and adolescents with sleep problems. Yeah, it is it is an epidemic. Dr. Anne-Marie Morris is with the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Do you have a website where people can go look at the results of this study that you conducted in March that showed that 35% of people are dealing with a sleep divorce? 
So I'd recommend for individuals to go check out sleepeducation.org. It not only will give you information about this, but it will also help you to be able to identify whether or not you're experiencing symptoms of any sleep disorders and what are some of the steps you can take in order to improve your nighttime sleep for your best day. Once again, that website is? Sleepeducation.org. Thank you so much for joining us, doctor. And do you sleep well? Of course. I make sure I prioritize eight hours of sleep a night in order for me to have my best days. Fantastic. The news is next with Steve on 720 WGN. Lisa Dent, WGN.